Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. Everyone have a seat. We said today is going to be a question and answer session in regards to, ma- to marriage. Thank God I have all of the answers. So if you have any questions, I got them all because I've made so many mistakes that I learned what not to do. So just come to me. I'll tell you what not to do and you'll be just fine. Okay. So you're going to see a QR code up here. I think that's the QR code. It's like a fancy design. It looks like a QR code. If you have any questions, you can just um, scan it and, and send the question and then they will um, put it up for us online if it is appropriate. So if you don't see your question up there, maybe we felt like it maybe it's not appropriate to be public, then we will uh, skip that one. So don't be offended. Keep it, keep it PG. All right. Name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Before we continue, we want to just uh, refresh our memories about what, and, and I'm, I want to thank the, the, the college and grads and how much positive feedback they gave me about the series. You know, even they're not married and they've been listening to a three-week series on marriage, but they're listening and they're engaging and they're learning. A lot of people give me positive feedback, so thank you guys for listening. I hope it's beneficial for you for, for your futures. I want to remind everyone that we said the purpose of marriage is not to be happy, but to be holy. And do we understand what that means? Is that if I'm constantly looking for my spouse to make me happy, Sooner or later, they're going to let me down. I think I said in the very first week that if you have this much need, if you are married to Prince Charming, if he is the greatest guy in the world, he's going to fill this much. This emptiness over here, God is the one that's going to fill that. Nobody can fill. The the, the Bible says that the heart is very deep. The heart and its desires and, and its needs are very deep. And the only one that can fill the heart is God himself. And so a lot of us, we are trying or we are getting disgruntled in our marriages because the person isn't making me happy. But I don't understand that the difficult part that I find in my spouse is there to make me holy. If they are testing my patience, God is trying to teach me what? Patience. God gives you opportunities to be patient. He doesn't zap you with patience. He doesn't just one day w- wake you up and say, hey, now you're going to be patient. No, he gives you opportunities to be patient, opportunities to be humble. Some of us get more opportunities than other in marriage, okay? Somebody, uh, some people are getting humbled every day in their marriage. Well, thank God you are going to be a saint. You're going to be a saint. Marriage is to make you Holy. And until that is your desire, you are never, I don't care who they are, going to find, and that's why so many people are getting divorced, just because they can't make me happy. You're right. No one can make you happy. One time I, I, I spoke to a woman. She, she, she was divorced. She got remarried. And she started telling me about her new marriage and why the new husband didn't do all the good things that her old husband used to do. I'm like, hey, lady, like... Like, and, and so she started, I said, so the issue isn't the husband. The issue is not my willing to become like Christ. I have to become like Christ. I have to be understanding that this 
cannot happen by, okay, I'll be more humble. It doesn't work that way either. It's a filling of the Holy Spirit. Everything the Bible teaches us, everything the church does, in all of its sacraments, is to give you the Holy Spirit, to shape you, to become like Christ. Every day you start changing and changing, changing to become like Christ, to go be Christ in your marriages, as parents, as children to your parents. Your goal is to be Christ. I'm going to repeat that 500 times. Because if that's not your goal, I'll even tell you marriage is the worst thing in the world. Because now, because we're in a covenant for life, this person is going to be rubbing against me, is going to be kind of like, kind of pushing my, my buttons for the rest of my life. Why did I sign up for this? You sign up for this because when we love, when we have love, I'm signing up to give. I'm not signing up to take. When I come into a marriage, I'm coming in to give. There are a lot of times people are saying, well, he doesn't, and they give me a whole list. I say, okay, well, what do you do? And then they, they'll say, oh, I, I you know, take care of the kids, and I you know, wash the dishes, and I do the laundry, and I pay the bills, and I whatever, and I take them on vacations. But there's a lot more to marriage than that. Is that, I said this in the past, Sometimes what happens is when the sex life in marriage goes down, becomes no longer exciting, there's no longer a connection. How do you stimu stimulate the sex life? Through a spiritual connection. A spiritual bond and a spiritual connection and oneness stimulates an emotional and a physical connection. When two people are filled with God, loving each other, sacrificing for each other, caring for each other, inspiring one another, uplifting one another, teaching the other the path of God, that will stimulate the dying sex life. So if that kind of resonates with you or your family or your marriage or, or what you see, what you've seen, in your, if, if you feel like there's an emotional disconnect, chances are there's a spiritual disconnect. Because the souls have been drawn together in a mysterious way. You can't see the soul. When you go to a wedding, you see a pretty dress, you see a nice tuxedo, you see some pretty hair and earrings, you see a bunch of stuff like that on the outside. But what you cannot see is the souls that are being knit together by the Holy Spirit and God being part of that. So as we stimulate each other spiritually, praying, embracing, that is the moment in which you'll find that the physical connection will be restored. Heard a, a, a couple, one wife said, um, you know, the husband is complaining. He says, we're not intimate enough. And she said, you want to know why? Because you don't want to pray with me. He's like, really? It came down to prayer. So he's like, I bought 25 Egbeyas. We're going to pray the Egbeya every day. You know? <laughs> he's, but she's saying, I don't feel connected because I don't feel like we're on the same journey. It's not a physical act. A sexual union is the union between two souls, not two bodies. If it's just for physical pleasure, two people who are fighting... Who cares if we're fighting? Let's just be intimate just because it's for my pleasure. But two people that are fighting and arguing, they don't want to become intimate because the souls are supposed to connect. Because in intimacy, the souls are becoming one. That if our souls are disconnected, then of course, I'm not going to be excited about sexual intimacy. These are things that I want us to keep in our minds. Last week, we spoke about... Um, the right way to fight. Who remembers the acronym that we talked about? CORE. What does it stand for? What does the C stand for? Anybody remember? 
Anybody remember? That's why we do acronyms, so we can kind of remember. That's the whole purpose of an acronym, right? So you know the letters. And cooperation, okay? Cooperation. That I'm trying to cooperate. The goal is not a, a, a win-lose situation. It's that we are cooperating to have a win-win, to come to a healthy solution for our home and for our marriage. Number two, the O is? You guys are... Either I'm a terrible... I did terrible last week. Okay, I'll, I'll prepare better next time. Ownership. Taking ownership of, my, of the fight. As I come and I say, you know what? In this pie of, of, of problems in our house, I agree I take ownership for this part. I did this part. This is why you got upset and you, you ruined the other 99% of our marriage. Okay? Like, take ownership of... That's how we fight right. R is respect. We need to respect one another. A person will feel safe in a fight when... The other one's not going to cross a boundary. Like, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to, to fix something. In our, but if I say, of course, because you're such a slob, that's why our house is this way. Or because you're such a mess and you don't, you're not organized, that's not respectful. So all of a sudden, the person becomes what? Takes a step back and we start to see defensiveness. I got to protect myself. I'm insecure. I have wounds in my life. And so you're now attacking another thing that I'm, like, let's say, I'm insecure about preaching, okay? So I'm insecure about preaching, but maybe I'm a good manager, okay? I'm a good manager. And here you are, you're telling me about how unorganized I am. I'm like, wait a second. I can accept that I'm not a good preacher. But now you're poking about something that I already feel like, okay, maybe I have, like maybe is healthy in my, in my service or my life, and you're poking at that, and so now you're just breaking down my person. So some people get defensive when you start to poke and to, and to put people down. Respect. When we respect within a fight that we don't cross a boundary, that we don't say words that we can't take back, that's the right way to fight. And the last one is E, empathy. Empathy. We should put each other, put ourselves in the other's shoes. Like I could only imagine how hard your week has been. Um, maybe you, you just came back from travel. You were working the night shift. You were doing whatever. You stayed home with the kids and crying babies. And then you came and then you cooked. And then you helped the kids with their homework. And then you gave them rides to the practice. Like, you know what? I should have understood how hard that must have been on you. I should have understood that's why maybe that you, you didn't you know, cook a, a, a big dinner because your hands were so full. Empathy. Put yourself, that is the Christ-like way. Now, we have a few questions. I'm going to read them. Uh, first question is, how do I get over the insecurity that my spouse could be led astray? It's happening all around us. That maybe my, my spouse could go outside the marriage or have an affair or it's happening everywhere. How do I go? There's actually a book um, called his needs, her needs, and it's, it's talked about how to make your marriage affair-proof. Of course, there, there's no magic spell, but it's, it's important for us to understand each other's needs. I'm going to tell you guys what the five major needs of a man is and the five major needs of a woman. So when I understand, am I meeting my spouse's need? Not, are they meeting my need, but am I meeting my spouse's major needs? Of course, this may be you, may not be you, but I'm going to go over this list. You tell me what you guys think. Men's needs. 
First one. Let's guess. Going, going to liturgy together as a family, of course. <laughs> First one is sexual fulfillment, okay? Sexual fulfillment. One of the five major needs of a man is sexual fulfillment. And so when we're talking about this whole concept of going outside of a marriage, we have people, spouses, I'm going to be clear, there are some spouses, some women that say they don't want to be intimate. I'm tired. I am um, too tired from the kids. I have a headache. Um, I've got to wake up early tomorrow. Um, it was not sunny enough outside. Uh, the sheets are cold. <laughs> like, what, whatever it is, there's 10,000 excuses as to why she doesn't want to be intimate. Okay, how often should a, a, a family or a, a marriage be intimate? What is the expectation? You know, I tell people when they first get married, I give them like a spiritual rule. Like, it's like a rule that in the beginning of a marriage, it should be two to three times a week of connecting intimately. Again, it's not a physical act, not just a physical act. It's the connecting of souls. Of course, everybody has schedules and whatever, but if you're wondering why somebody would, would go outside of their marriage, it's because they have needs. And I'm not just talking about sexual needs and he's an animal and whatever, you know, people say men are just pigs and they just need whatever. No, I'm talking about like we are not connecting enough. We're not connecting enough that, that like it's been Sometimes I, I hear people say, it's been two months. What do you mean it's been two months? What's wrong with you? You're that tired? Take a nap. Take a day off. Like, like, there's no way. Then there's a disconnect. There's something wrong. You need to communicate why you feel like you don't want to connect to your husband. Sexual fulfillment is huge. It's huge. And it's not something that, again, society has made it this ugly, impure thing. That's not what marriage sees it as. This is a, this is a holy act. We tell people when they get married, you should be praying for your intimacy and your connection and your sexual connection. You should be praying for that, that God would bless it. Because again, it's the connecting of two souls, not two bodies. Sexual fulfillment, number one. For women, what's their number one uh, major need? Affection. Affection. Kind words, cards, flowers, gifts, hugs, kisses, kindness, gentleness. That Affection. Showing affection. Guy number two, recreational companionship. What is recreational companionship? It's football season. I can, either, I can either go and watch the football game with all the guys every Sunday night or Monday night and hang out with them versus I love when you go to a game and the wife is wearing a, the jersey of its favorite team and she's making wings and nachos and she's there and she's trying to, and he wants her right next to him that she's going to share this thing with me. Watching football. For some people, recreational convention is going to Tizbaha. I want to go to Tizbaha with you. I want us to be together. Like, this is something I enjoy. I want you to be with me. I like, you know, art. I love what I want you to share with me. I don't want to have to find somebody else to enjoy it with me. I love seeing, you know, wives picking up, learning how to ride a bike. And just saying, you know, I want to ride a bike because my husband likes to ride bikes. And, and I want to go out and share that with him. Recreational companionship for number two. The woman's number two need, conversation. Go figure. Women like to talk. Who would have thought? <laughs> okay. I don't remember what the exact numbers is, but something like, I don't know if like women have like 5,000 words a day and men have like 2,500 words a day. He's finished them all by the end of work and the woman has been saving them for her husband from the time he comes home, right? And so she wants to have conversation. They say... That couples, unfortunately, 
talk face-to-face less than 27 minutes a week. Face-to-face. Like, maybe, like, we're both on our laptops, we're paying the bills, we're talking, somebody's cooking, somebody's cleaning, we're talking. No, I'm talking about face-to-face, undivided, let's talk. I want to tell you how much I love you. I want to tell you something that's bothering me. I want us to share. I want, to, I want us to grow. I want us to talk about something that we're both interested in. 27 minutes is going to never keep a marriage going. So women need conversation. They need conversation. So men, save some of your words. Save some of your words for when you get home. Okay? They want to talk. And they feel connected when they talk. She feels understood. She feels understood. She feels validated when he's listening to her. Number three for a man. An attractive spouse. What is an attractive spouse? I want to clarify what this means. Again, you're thinking those shallow pigs. Okay? (laughs) Attractive spouse does not mean that she has to be a supermodel. It means she takes care of herself. Imagine during COVID, for a year, we're sitting at home. Okay? Lady is wearing sweats and a sweatshirt for 17 months. (laughs) Like, like, Put it together. Like, let's, let's feel like we're not in our pajamas for three years. Okay? Like, go. Where's the queue? Do your hair. I want to feel that you take care of yourself for me. That you want to look good for me. That you care that, because guys are visually stimulated. They're visually stimulated. That means a lot to them. Again, he's not telling you to go become a supermodel, but take care of yourself. Right? You can't just... Like, let go of yourself after marriage. Well, he's stuck. He's got nowhere else to go. Now I can just go back to the pajamas. No. I love seeing when, when women are taking care of themselves they, they, for their husband, that their husband would be proud that she is dressing up for me. She wants, she wants me to feel connected to her and to feel attracted to her. Number three for women is honesty and openness. Honesty and openness. Women really want honesty and openness. Men, usually, in different things, let's say, when a young boy is, is hurt when he's a, a little kid and he's crying, what do you tell him? Be a man. Don't cry. Be strong. Suck it up. Boys don't cry. And then for some reason, when they get married, the, like the woman, you know, like, so the woman wants a macho man when, when she's dating. And then when she gets married, she wants a 15-year-old girl. Like, she wants, honey, how come you don't cry anymore? I'm like, I've never, I don't, it doesn't come easy. I don't cry, okay? It doesn't come easy for me. But she wants me to be able to say what I'm feeling. My boss is hurting my feelings. My boss is upsetting me. I have a lot of stress. Guys usually will just keep it in. She wants to feel his feelings. Share with me. What is it that you feel? Be honest. Be openness. Be open. Are you creating an environment for your husband to be honest and open? If he said the smallest thing and you flipped a lid, ain't no chance he's going to tell you that he gambled our money away. Like, he's not going to tell you. But if I have a gambling habit, if I picked up a gambling habit, and I'm stuck and I'm stressed, and I'm saying, okay, like, if she finds out she's going to kill me, so I'll take a little bit more money and try to get the money back. And then I lose more, and I'll take a little bit of a loan. I know I can, like, how many times am I going to lose? And say, go, and you get in this cycle where if he could say, honey, we're in a problem. I have a gambling habit. I need your help. And if she says, okay, let's work on this together. Let's pray about it. I'm here for you. Let's kind of put some controls for our money. Versus he's hiding from her because he's afraid. Create an environment of honesty and openness, women, for your husbands. 
Husbands, nothing means more or makes your wife feel more connected than you being honest and open. Share what's going on. It's not like, doesn't always come natural to us men, but that means the world to the woman. That when you feel like, I'm the one that you pour out all your feelings to. It means a lot to a woman. I know I'm spending a long time on this specific question, but it was a good question. I feel like it, it's relevant to hear these things. Number four for a man, domestic support. What is domestic support? Is it a slave at home? No. Domestic meaning around the house? It's not that she does everything around the house, but she like owns the house. She understands how the system of the house. You just tell me when to, we're doing, you know, changing all the sheets and I'll help you. But like it's not on my radar. I don't think about these things. Own the house. Say, you know, spring cleaning is next Saturday. Make sure that you're available. We're going to go and clean the leak. Like, she owns the house. Tell, tell him. Bring down the laundry from upstairs, downstairs. Make sure you take out the, crash, tr the trash. She's taking ownership of managing the house. He needs that. Some things that come natural to you, like the guy's not thinking about taking a toothbrush and cleaning in between the tiles of the bathroom. It doesn't come to his mind. But the woman is definitely thinking of that. Like, we are going to clean every square inch of this house. He doesn't know. So he needs domestic support. Fourth major woman's need, financial support. Of course, we have a lot of successful women. Women can pursue careers and be successful and make good money. But she doesn't want to see her husband sitting on the couch while she's paying the bills. She wants to see a hunter. I know a, a woman, she's a, she's a very, very successful, you know, makes a lot of money. And her husband was just like, okay, like, you know, taking his time to find a job. We have plenty. And she's like, go work and work as a trash man. I don't care, but I, I can't just see you. I married you to be a hunter, right? Go rake leaves and people's do anything. But I don't want to see that the woman is providing. She wants to feel like she's protected. She's cared for. She's loved. She's, there's a hunter out there caring for her. That somebody's going to go out and work a double shift when, when, when things are tight. He's going to go and kill himself for that. That's what she wants to see. Financial support is not that he makes a lot of money, but he is providing, caring for her. Fifth one for a man, his need, admiration. Do you compliment your husband in front of others? You make fun of him in front of everybody? One of the major needs, I would say it's much higher on the list, is respect. A man wants to feel like he's your knight in shining armor. And if you have something to, to tell him or to correct him with, you should do it gently and with love because he needs to feel that you respect him. If all of a sudden he feels that in, in, in your book, all the things that he does are the things that you hate in a man, and he's like this in your eyes, he doesn't feel respected, maybe he goes to work and the lady at work is saying, you are so like diligent in your work. You are so good at what you do. Every day, she's saying, oh, by the way, I love that tie. You look so, you know, you look very handsome. Or she's coming. She's not an evil woman. She's just saying, like, the smallest thing. And he's like, finally, somebody respects me. It's not because she's this terrible lady and he's this terrible man. And all of a sudden, we have a disaster in the house. No. You're not doing, or he's not doing, the smallest thing to meet a need of the other. You don't care about their needs. Some people are starving. These are needs. They're starving. And you might, you're not, you don't care. I don't care if he needs sexual fulfillment. He's got to figure it out. I don't care if um, 
if she needs uh, financial support, we have plenty of money, I need rest. These are major needs. And the last thing for a, a woman, her major need is family commitment. These are how to affair-proof your marriage. If you want to find security, family commitment. Do you care about not just providing uh, uh, money for the family, but like you're going to come with me to the kids' soccer games and that you want to sit around the table and be with us and that you are committed to raising the kids, teaching them the Bible, praying with them. That's what a woman has a huge desire for. If he's thinking... You have a nice car in the driveway. We have a white picket fence. Stop complaining. She wants to feel like you're part of the family. It's not just because you roll in the dough and you bring in the dough that all of a sudden it doesn't matter if you are there with the kids or there with her in a relationship. So that's the answer to question number one. I think it was important for you guys to hear that. Bueno, we, we got a lot of questions on the app. I'm going to read it okay. to you. Okay. I won't do that again, I promise. <laughs> no so, more book um, summaries for everybody. Th these are anonymous, uh, but just keep it appropriate. Um, so I'll, I'll just paraphrase two questions that are very similar about spiritual growth and um, how do we support our spouse's spiritual growth and what happens if it's more one-sided, what should we avoid doing or not doing? So if it's one-sided, it's okay. Nobody is exactly at the same level. But I always tell this to people that both people are on the path. Maybe somebody is further along the path, but like, okay, let's say the woman is further on the path and the guy is a little bit behind, but he's like sitting with his spiritual father. He's starting to read the Bible. He's like starting to confess and, and, and get some guidance for his life. Okay, he's on the path. That's okay. But if he's not on the path, doesn't want to pray, doesn't want to read the Bible, doesn't want to go to church, doesn't want to, that's a, that's a big problem. You, you definitely have to pray that God reveals himself to your, your spouse, man or woman. Second thing is maybe, chances are when somebody doesn't want to like take a serious step spiritually, they're harboring some either guilt or pain. Create a safe space. Maybe they're struggling with something. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a mistake they made years ago. Maybe it's some type of shame. And we need to get him to clear his chest so that he can respect himself. He can't stand before God. He's embarrassed. He can't be honest. And so maybe, you know, he goes, and says, yeah, our father, he's not even, he doesn't want to look at God. He doesn't want to talk to God. Or she doesn't want to talk to God because she's mad at him because he didn't help her or answer her prayer or be with her kid that was sick or whatever it was. And she's hurting, okay? And so she's kind of throwing the towel. I don't want to talk to God right now. We need to be, the, the, the other spouse needs to carry them. The book of Ecclesiastes says two are better than one. One, one is up while the other is down. The other one that's up should carry the one that's down. But if the one that is up is always carrying the one that is down, that's a problem. Men, women, if, you are always, if you're being dragged to, 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 to do anything spiritual, there's a problem there. That, that, that's, like we said, we're trying to be holy here. So it needs prayer. It needs fasting. book of, of the epistle to St. Peter says this. It says, if a woman takes for herself an unbelieving husband, meaning an unbelieving husband, what should she do? She should continue to be faithful and loving and a good example that maybe by her virtue, he will come to know Christ. By her virtue, he will come to begin to change. When she's virtuous, not just um, 
a goody two-shoes. Like she's good at going to church and she whatever, and she knows all the answers, but she doesn't like demonstrate it in her everyday life. Everybody wants to answer. Be careful who you're married for. 90% of people in the room, most of you guys are already married. So we need to pray for it. For the young people, be careful who you marry. It's a big deal. We've been talking about this for three weeks. It is not, he's cute, she's cute. It's a lot more than that. Look, everybody's looking, looking at over there, you poor things. You'll see. You'll see. Okay. It's coming. <laughs> You'll know why, why I walk like that at church. <laughs> Next question. On that note, there, there's actually a similar question um, about how do you know if you're being called to marriage? Uh, and if, if not, what is the purpose of single, singleness forever? <laughs> and how do you know when it's the right time to stop looking for a significant mm. other followed by a crying emoji? Do you want to answer any of these questions? <laughs> Taking all the easy ones. <laughs> Just kidding. What is the purpose of singleness? Making that connection between you and God firm first. Singleness. So there's a temptation for priests. They, want it, they look at monks and they wish they were monks because monks get to stay in their cell and pray and they don't have to deal with anybody's problems. The monks are thinking, man, if I could go out and serve and whatever, they're tempted to become priests because they want to go out and serve and use their gifts and whatever. Married or single people envy the married people and they wish they were married. Married people... Sometimes say, if I was single and I could have all the freedom in the world to do whatever I want, travel and hang out and don't have to worry about kids. Or... It's a temptation to escape what you're in. Embrace what you're in. Singleness is beautiful. Singleness is a time where you grow, where you have more time to serve, to give, to know yourself, discover yourself in this time of singleness. When should I stop looking? Number one, make sure that you're your heart is aligned with, like, God's call for your life. What does that mean? God has given you many gifts and talents to serve him. Are you using that, or are you just waiting on the sideline until you find um, you, the, the right person to use your gifts to serve God? Discover, be used as in, in, like, find your own calling. Glorify his name in your singleness. Embrace it. It's beautiful. There's beautiful things in singleness and there's beautiful things in marriage. And there's hard things in singleness and there's hard things in marriage. The season that you're in is okay. How long should I wait? I believe that if it's on your heart and you ask God to remove it from your heart and he has not removed it from your heart, I have to figure out, number one, why do I want to get married? Is it companionship? Is it I'm just lonely? Is it sexual fulfillment or is it because I want to go to the kingdom of God? If it's sexual fulfillment, maybe, maybe that's not something that God wants to like just get you married just, be, just to have sex. That's not what it's for. If it's just to travel the world and go to France and Paris and Italy, and blah, that, that's not what marriage is for either. And so maybe God is just waiting or he's shaping you or building somebody. But let God continue if he's burdened your heart, you tell him. Make yourself available. Work on yourself. Maybe there's something in me that is um, I haven't worked on. Maybe I have an anger problem. Maybe I'm not spiritual. Maybe I'm disrespectful. I need to work on things in myself. Sometimes it's, it's a hard thing when you have that desire. But you fix your eyes on Christ. 
Like when God saw Adam and, and Adam was in fellowship with him, he looked at Adam and he says, no, it's not good for Adam to be alone. He needs Eve to be his what? Help me. Help me to do what? Gardening in the Garden of Eden? No. To glorify his name, to be in fellowship with the Trinity. He needs help. And she needs help as well. Go ahead, Dave. Okay, there's a, a few questions around uh, when one spouse might not be uh, fulfilling expectations or how do you let one spouse know that uh, they're being hurt and um, they're not meeting the expectations and how do you share that? And then also, what if you've tried to fast and pray for the spouse and they're not um, changing? Mm -hmm. They still have a, either a bad temper or doing things that aren't pleasing. So I'll tell you one thing some people think is okay and it's wrong. The Bible says that, for example, they say, fine, since you don't want to pray or go to church, I'm not going to be intimate. We don't use weapons against each other. We don't say, no, your body is not your own, but it's that of your husband's, and your bo the husband's body is not his own, but it's that of his wife's. So if we don't say, okay, halas, withdraw and teach him a lesson, that's not the answer. I've been fasting and praying, and I'm hoping. Tell him or her that this is very important to me, that I'm feeling that the most important thing in our lives should be this, and for us and for our kids, and you don't care about it, that we need to invite somebody into the marriage to, to guide us. Find out, I always tell this, make sure that he or she, whoever you're dating, or has an authority or, uh, or an account. Because if I say, okay, let's talk to your parents. I don't care what my dad says. Okay, let's talk to Abuna. Abuna's not going to tell me what to do. Let's call the police. You know, like, let's, like, like what, what are our options here? You're not going to listen to anybody. People, that is a disaster. There's nothing that breaks my heart more than somebody that won't listen to anybody. And I tell the lady, sorry, I don't know what to tell you. But let's try to find, again, a counselor, priest, mentors, invite maybe a wise person in the family to come and to share. But make sure that you're sharing with him, saying, or her, saying, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time with this. I know, I don't I would ever say, maybe he has a distorted understanding of who God is. Maybe he has, like I said, shame or guilt that he can't talk about. And so get him in front of somebody that he can feel comfortable to confess and just get everything off his chest to start fresh and to start find somebody to lead him. Maybe he, he's hurt by God. And so don't talk to me about this God thing. And so he's just living a selfish life. So there are a lot of uh, questions coming in about just knowing the, the person either that you're seeing or in a relationship with, and how do you know if that's the person God intended you mm -hmm. uh, to marry? Number one, take your time. And I think I said this earlier in the series. When you're young, you don't know anything. And when you're older, the problem is you know everything. You know, somebody goes into a dealership, right? It's a Honda, it's a Toyota. It's a good car. Is it new? Is it fine? Okay, buy it. Then you get the like tire kickers, right? They're kicking the tire and they're trying to see like the pressure in the tire and the between the rim and the like that person's a crazy person. They're looking for a perfect car. There's no such thing. There's no perfect car out there. If they're kicking tires at the dealership, okay, that person is right. They are a person looking for perfection. This is going to sound very shallow and very and 
all you people online, I'm sorry if it sounds shallow, but look, you're on a scale of zero to a 10, you know, zero to 10, you need like a, like a five to a seven, a six to an eight, okay? You're like, what does that mean? You're saying somebody who's just wholesome, loves the Lord, has a job, respects their family, goes to church, has friendships, is guided. You need a, and then we're going to grow in marriage. Marriage is going to grow you to the 10, but there is no 10 out there. So if you're waiting for a 10, that's bad. If there are two, but they have a good heart, I hate when some girl tells me, but he's got a good heart. He's in prison, honey. Like, like, like everybody has a good heart, apparently. Okay? Like, we don't go for twos with a good heart, hoping that one day he'll get to a ten. It's never going to happen. Okay? The spiritual life is very, very important. So how long? I encourage dating, courting, depending on what is appropriate or culturally appropriate, dating or courting for at least a year. You should have had enough fights to discover each other. Did they grow in the fights? Did we grow in, did we learn lessons from our fights? They should have tried to figure out as much as I can figure out. If you don't know after a year, if we're dating and we're talking on the phone every day and we go and we sit with our spiritual fathers and we've been going to Bible studies and we've been praying together and we've been going on dates and do all these things, after a year, don't take too much time of this person's life. What happens is some people date for three, four years. And then on year four, you know, I don't think it's going to work, honey. You just took from when I was 26 to 30. Now I'm a 30-year-old girl. And, and, and now you're not interested? Figure it out quick. Not too quick, but like take a year, a reasonable amount of time, get connected, get books, ask each other questions. There's a book called The 101 Questions to Ask Before You Get Engaged. Very stimulating questions that are not on your radar. Okay, she's cute, she has a nice job, whatever. There's other questions. How many kids do you want to have? Um, are you a saver? Are you a spender? Are you, what are your family values? What, tell me about your parents' marriage. Tell me about your relationship with your dad. Tell me about your relationship with your mom. There's a lot of discovery that can go to kind of understand the dynamic between you two. Ask a lot of questions. When you're dating, it's a discovery phase. Also, just for when you're dating, I really want to say this. Ideally, the, the, like, I like this girl. She's nice. We both go to church. We happened to go to Starbucks after church. We had a nice connection. We kind of like each other. We started texting. We're together. Yanni, you had nine text messages and we're together. No, observe. Hang out in the group. Watch. See how he talks to the guys. See how he talks to the girls. See his commitment to his spiritual life. Go. It's, a, it's an election season. What are his views? What are his values? What are, when he's talking to his mom on the phone or she's talking to her mom, how is he talking? Observe a lot. The worst thing is we dated for two months and then I realized, okay, we're not a good fit. So now we broke up. You don't need to break up. You didn't know them for you to get together, for you to break like, don't break up because you're not together. Discover. Spend some time observing as friends. It's okay. Like, you know, you can, like, text and whatever, but we're nothing. We're not committed to anything. We're just getting to know you. We're just, ideally, brothers and sisters in church in a community. We're all one big family. When we have a real bond, a real, like, spiritual brother-sister bond, that can evolve into love. 
It can evolve into love. Like we've been hanging out. I know this person. We go on retreats together. We go on missionary trips. And it can evolve into love. But don't just find somebody. Okay, all the boxes check. Let's start dating. And then we break up after two months five times. Don't do that. Discover much longer time. All right. Uh, I think we have time for one or two more. Um, there's one about fighting when it, uh, in terms of families and what happens when one spouse does not like the other family and where are the appropriate boundaries <laughs> to set? I'm going to Elijah. Are you serious? We got to train the new guy. Are you serious? Sorry, sorry in advance. Actually, I think Abuna knows I have a lot of feelings about this. That's why he asked me. Uh, I, I, think, I think you have to be wise about this because you can't, like if an in-law, you can lose your in-laws. A child can't lose their parents. So it is your responsibility to, in a way, sort of create the healthy relationship with the family it's not the responsibility of the in-law. If it gets to a point that the in-law dislikes the parents, then something has happened and we haven't created a healthy boundary in the relationship. Also, in Egyptian culture, we also have lost our understanding of what it means to leave and to cleave. Like, leave and cleave. Leave, forsake your father and your mother's household and be joined to your wife. Your nuclear family, your new family, is your family. That is who God is going to hold you accountable for. Not that does not mean, all right, I forgot my mother and father and I dislike them and khalas, you, you, you know, you, you're gone. No, it means that my first priority is my spouse and my children. And then second is my parents. So if there's a major decision in my life and my whole family, me, my wife, and my children are all in agreement and my parents are not, then I have to ask the question, whose, whose voice do I listen to in that moment? If my spiritual father is in agreement with it, if my, my wife is in agreement, if my children are in with it, my in-laws say or my parents say no, there's something wrong. And oftentimes we say there's many people that leave their parents' households and are still living in their parents' household. They've now been joined to their spouse, but estenna, let me go ask Baba. Or estenna, let me go ask Mama. Like, no, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. You now are one flesh. You're responsible for each other. You're to protect each other. You're look out for each other. You're to care for each other. And this is priority. Again, anyone listening to you, not saying don't still follow the command of honoring your father and mother. What is the difference between honor and obey? Honor is I respect my parents and I listen to them and I hear them, but I don't need to obey when I've now had this new nuclear family that God has entrusted me to. Be careful with that because I think in the modern context, many problems are happening in families as a result of in-laws getting involved. Sit with your wife, sit with your husband, pray, seek God, seek counsel, and then you'll start to see harmony happen. And there are situations where you, like, I can tell you so many stories, but there are situations in which there's a disagreement and over time, God makes everything straight. But we have to be careful of leave and cleave. This is a biblical command that when you get married, you forsake your mother. It goes for both. 
You forsake your mother and your father and you're joined to your spouse. So please, 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 let's leave the, the cultural understanding. Let's obey the Bible. Let's take the commands of the Lord. I don't know, Abuna, if you agree with that. Also, advice to the parents. Your role is to give advice. Just, just give advice. Just advice. Just advice, please. Like, you know, you, should, you have to buy this house. This house is a good deal. No, we recommend this house, you know, the market, whatever, and I have my two cents. And out of experience, this is why this would be a good house. You need to consider the schools for your kids. Okay, advice, listen. But that's it. If they want to make a terrible decision, there's some things that are like when it comes to like getting married to the wrong spouse and your, your parents are fighting and it's, it could be, that's okay because that could be a disaster. Listen to your parents in that area. Before marriage, Before marriage have every right. The danger is, is that if, if like they're going to buy a wrong car, they're going to lose a couple thousand dollars, let them make mistakes. It's okay. What's the end of the world if they lost a couple thousand dollars for buying the wrong car that's not reliable? Like, it's okay. Let them make mistakes because that's how they become a responsible family. And their their parents are? Sorry. If you're if you're if you also can't leave your kids to make decisions, then you're insecure in your parenthood. You didn't raise good children. So you should the only time you feel like you need to give your feedback when your child is married is if you don't trust the parenthood that you've given them your whole life. So you're insecure in your parenthood, and therefore you feel like you need to continue to assert yourself in their marriage. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. If we raise children, we trust that we let them launch. Once they get to a certain age, you let them spread their wings like eagles, and you are there to stand in the background, to observe, to encourage, to support, to pray with. My parents, I have to tell you, they, in all the decisions in my life, they've stood next to me, given me advice, but they've said, it's your decision. Ultimately, it's your decision because they trust in their parenthood. They trust. So we need to trust in our parenthood. We need to raise saints so that when they launch in marriages, they're capable of making their decisions. Last question. Thank you. Okay. This is a general question about just the best advice you received about marriage or to give to a person looking to get married. Best advice that I received about marriage is that my father-in-law is God. And, like, she is my, she is the daughter. Her daddy is God. And so the way that I would care for my wife and serve her and love her and be committed to her and respect her and treat her with honor is that knowing that her father is God himself, that I am now married to the daughter of God or or that your, your, your father-in-law for, from your, the, your husband is, is God himself. And so you honor and treat them as if you are there. I want you to imagine like, imagine if you, you do you think the father would care if you, you tithe, you give money to the poor, you, you know, do all these nice things, but like you abuse his daughter. Does he care about your tithe? You're yelling at his daughter or, or, her, or his son and you're treating them spitefully or, or, or aggressively, do you think he cares about your, your tithe or your service at church or your sermons? Or it doesn't mean anything. That your father-in-law is God himself, and so you are to treat your spouse as if you are trying to please your, your father-in-law. That's it. Glory be to God forever. Amen.
This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.